Dan Riskin is here because it's Test Tube Thursday. Nice to have you, sir. You've been enjoying your afternoons? I have been having a great time filling in on the rush in the afternoon with Rashmi. She's fabulous. And it's just, it's fun to be in the building and, and bumping into people in the hallways because I, I often connect and, and talk to people, you know, through my computer. And there's just something about that face-to-face contact with masks that uh, really makes a huge difference. Okay, so let's talk science. And I was mentioning the retiring of the leap second. I guess we have to, first of all, establish what the leap second is. Yeah, well, so, I mean, we know that the the time is generally based on the rotation of the Earth. I mean, it goes around and we call that a day. But the thing is that it, it the, how long it takes for the Earth to rotate is variable. Um, as weather changes, uh, the, the, the mass of the stuff in the atmosphere moves around a tiny bit, but just enough that like a figure skater moving their arms in or out, um, it changes how fast you spin because you have a conservation of momentum. And if you bring your mass closer together, you spin a little faster. And if you spread it out, you spin a little slower. And so there's a bit of variability to the earth. And and that's a pain for engineers because engineers like things to just tick along in a predictable way. And a lot of our networks, our financial networks, our, our telecommunication systems, they're all synchronized perfectly to the billionth of a second. And so, um, you know, if we all of a sudden, you know, if we stick to this time that's just fixed, there, there tends to be an offset between where the earth is at and where our clocks on our computers and watches are at. And so the solution to this has been to just add a second every once in a while. And so uh, they have been they came up with this idea. Uh, they put 10 seconds in at the end of 1972 because we were kind of out of whack. That's when they started doing this. And as recently as 2016, they've been adding these leap seconds and it messes up the engineers. Reddit went down for 40 minutes because of this, uh, I think in 2012. And Cloudfare, which is this big company that, that handles like 20% of the internet's security services, they went down because of this at one point. And so Meta has put out this call and said, look, you guys, we got to stop doing this leap second thing. It's messing everybody up. And so the people in the, the international group called Bureau International des Poids et Mesures, BIPM, mm-hmm. in France, meeting of all the countries got together in Versailles of all places, and they've they've agreed. They said, you know what, we're going to drop this leap second thing. It's, it's getting to be too big a pain. So uh, by 2035, we will stop using leap seconds, and everybody promises not to even think about trying to do a leap second for 100 years, and sometime over those 100 years, we'll hopefully come up with a different solution, even though the Earth by then could be off by as much as a minute from what our watches say. Okay, I think that's going to be the last of our worries 100 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I we're gonna be, it's going to be a I great burning worst. cauldron and people are going to be getting all pedantic <laughs> about being a minute out of out of sync. Right. Yeah. It's hard to, to get worked up about what your watch says when your watch is melted off your arm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, tell me about what the James Webb telescope is revealing. Well, the James Webb Space Telescope is doing magical things. And there are what, what, one of the things that's so great about it, it's, it's giving us views of the universe that just blow our minds, but not everybody sees. Some people are, are you know, are, are blind or, uh, you know, might, might not be able to enjoy the data the way many of us do. And there are other ways to show the data. I mean, the, the things we're seeing from James Webb aren't actually visible light anyway. This thing sees in the infrared, and so they have to be translated into visible wavelengths before they get to us. So there's already a translation happening before 
any of us enjoy it. And so why translate it that one way when you could translate it other ways? And so uh, Matt Russo is a physicist at the University of Toronto, and he's taken this on, and he's basically tried to figure out ways to turn them into sound. Because if you turn it into sound, then even more people can enjoy it. And even people who can see will have a different perspective on it. So obviously this is radio. I can't show you the image beforehand, but what I can do is I can play you a clip now of what this image sounds like having been put through the process, the mathematical process that Matt puts it through. Here you go. Okay, why do I have Bill Shatner's voice in my head now? That sounds so 1965. But it also sounds like space in 1965. And, and and what's cool is that you do sort of, it does make something show up in your head. I mean, William Shatner, sure. But those little plinky, plunky, plinky things sound kind of, to me, like stars. And and so what what's happening is, if you want something visual to imagine while that's going, is there's like this line going across the image from left to right. And as it goes, the different colors that are in the image come out as sound. And so uh, what Matt's done is he's set it up so that you have a way of scanning across the image and he's taking these sounds and he's presenting them to people who can't see uh, and asking them what how what they perceive and the thing is that our, our brains you know take in different information in different ways and visual is just one way to do it and you might really and people could find stuff in these data from the sound that they wouldn't otherwise notice the other thing is that it sounds cool and you can add music to it and so matt has collaborated with a musician named andrew santa guida uh, here in toronto and they've started making music from these james webb images so i'll, I'll let that play now so pretty cool stuff i mean it's a pretty transcendent quality about it it does and you know and there's the artistry going into that right and this goes back to the fact that you know people who do data science and people who do astronomy they're not just nerds they're also they have other interests and so here they're taking some musical interests and trying to sort of enhance what you've got but i i really i mean for me this is all about you know how to present data so that people can see it a graph is one way that you can see things an image is a way of presenting data and now sounds are a way of presenting things and as you know for for me with my research on bats bats use echolocation they perceive the whole world with sound everything they they perceive about where everything is it's all echolocation and so for them it's it's all about sound and we often have trouble converting that into visual things for the humans that are writing about bats and reading about bats when it's just an acoustic world for them. So this is almost like the reverse of that, where we're trying to see the universe the way a bat might more easily understand it. And maybe we'll get something out of that. Okay. And I just got a text from home. Apparently the dog has really been enjoying this sound. Oh, good. All yeah. right. Well, there you go. Maybe so. So dogs are acoustic animals. Like maybe your dog's like, whoa, that's, that's a nebula. <laughs> okay. I don't know if we have enough time for this final story, but I'm very, very curious. A new test to establish whether or not we're living in a computer program. Yeah, so this is, uh, yeah, I'll be brief. Mathematically, it's quite likely that we all live in a simulation. Great. Uh, and the people who think about this stuff basically base that on the idea that, well, if people are smart enough to make computers that are really advanced, they would make all kinds of simulations. And so there should be billions of simulations and only one reality. So we're probably in a simulation if you had to guess. Um, but whether that's true or not uh, is very hard to figure out. But some physicists have come up with some tests that they say are going to be able to answer that question. And so they've designed these experiments and they're looking for funding to go ahead and perform 
them. But uh, I, I like to, I, I know that the smart people say that we live probably in a simulation, but I just don't want to believe it. I, I, I really have my hopes attached to the idea that this is all real. Yeah, I think if it was a computer simulation, it'd be a lot more fun. There'd be a lot less unhappy people. Yeah, yeah. Or else, like, who made that simulation? Basically, what they're looking for with these experiments is where the, the computer programmer realizes there's a glitch and then fixes it with a, by changing a number, and you see this giant change that uh, in, a, in a universal constant or something like that. So uh, we'll see, but hopefully they haven't found proof of it yet. So maybe this is real. Who knows? All right. Thank you, you simulated commentator, you. It is a pleasure.